It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it, because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by New York Lottery. Thanks so much for tuning in. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. Multiple ways for you to interact with us here on the program. Option number one, the phone number, 973-667-1960. Option number two, hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. You can also follow and interact directly with the two of us. I am at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network, Brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So a lot to delve into over these next 60 minutes. We will get to your phone calls and your tweets, but you had some players speak this morning. So Paul and I will recap what some of those players had to say, the bulk of them on the defensive side of the ball, as well as recap some of our takeaways from the regular season finale and what to expect this upcoming offseason. Paul? Have you digested the fact that the season is over yet? Have yeah, you decomposed? It's always, uh, always a sad week for me, Lance. You know, it doesn't matter how far the, the team does or does not go or whether or not there's a postseason or, or even a Super Bowl. You know, when it's finally over and there's baggy day, in this case it was a Zoom baggy day. A virtual it's sad. baggy day. Yeah, yes. it's sad. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I Look, the season from, from training camp all the way through the end of the season – that's the nitroglycerin that makes my uh, my motor go. You know, I, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. And it's a 175 miles an hour, push the pedal to the metal. And I get very down when, when the season is over. Now, of course, there's going to be free agency and, you know, the, the, the draft and hopefully some kind of mini camp and so forth and so on. And, you know, but nothing beats the season. I mean, from the time training camp starts to the time the last snap has been played, that is the meat and potatoes. That's the blood of the NFL. And, yeah, so I'm kind of bummed. I'm not going to lie to you. Well, I mean, I'm with you. I would take discussing games over any off-season chatter every day of the week and twice on Sunday. So no disagreement there. I mean, the good news is from a big-picture NFL perspective, we will have the playoffs to observe from afar. So that's at least a positive. The season is not officially over. We can still consume football. But, yeah, from the Giants' perspective, it's now moving towards off-season mode. And I don't necessarily get too overly excited about starting to preview the draft come January. I'd like to have some breathing room from that standpoint. But <laughs> before we look too far ahead, over the last few days, the players and Joe Judge had an opportunity to reflect on what transpired over the course of this season. I thought today from the players that spoke, Paul, my biggest takeaway from hearing from the Julian Loves of the world and the James Bradburys of the world, Xavier McKinney also spoke, the common theme was that that group in the secondary, for the most part, because there's really not a lot of free agents and the bulk of them are still on rookie contracts, they're all coming back in 2021. And I think they were all asked across the board the fact that you had an opportunity to digest the scheme. You got more and more comfortable with it throughout the course of the season. A guy like McKinney got a number of games under his belt that the position that will put them in when hopefully they will have a conventional training camp next season in route to the year. It seems as if everyone agreed that that's going to put them in a very good position entering 2021. Yeah, I think so too, Lance. And, you know, the, the thing that we talked about so much during the past offseason was that you had so many new guys coming in. Obviously, a bunch of them were going to be rookies, and you had to do the virtual learning and all this other stuff that the pandemic pushed them into. Well, look, there's going to be an advancement of, of chemistry, of cohesion, and all of that stuff because they're in year two. But I will also caution that not knowing how much normalcy there will be during this offseason – it may not be necessarily quite as smooth as we would like it to be. I would love to tell you today, and I think the world would love to tell you today, for society's sake, that the vaccines are working, everybody's getting them real quick, and everything can go back to what it used to be in 2019. And that, you know, from a football perspective, 
all the offseason stuff can go back to the way it's supposed to be and everything can be, you know, as smooth as silk. I would love for that to happen, especially with this young team. I caution you that I'm not so sure that that's going to happen. We were just talking to John, who's producing our show today, just before we get on the air. Uh, Yeah, I think optimistically, all these coaches and players would love to have a spring minicamp if they could. I think that may be the most optimistic aspect of what a normal offseason might turn out to be. I don't know that there's going to be a whole lot more than that. You know, the other thing, a brief side note, I don't want to get completely off topic, but given what took place in 2020, and I'm not saying that this is going to happen, nor am I saying that this is a positive, Paul, but you wonder whether or not the NFL, the NFLPA, the owners and so forth, that everybody's going to reflect and say, how beneficial are OTAs? How beneficial are minicamps if they didn't go through them this year got in training camp, do they maybe think about tweaking the structure of the offseason? I'm not saying that everything that happened this year should be adopted permanently. That's not what I'm saying. I wouldn't be surprised, though, Paul, if everybody takes a step back. Listen, the parallel that I could build is in any walk of life, companies, wherever you're working, our listeners, I think, can relate to this. There's going to be companies that are going to say, hey, do we need everybody in the office simultaneously? Can we have some people work home remotely if they could be productive? My point is, I think if there's anything that maybe came out of this pandemic, sports leagues, corporations, they're all going to think about whether or not the way they structured things before the pandemic is the way that they have to go back to it moving forward. I think we all have to at least keep that in mind here. Oh, boy, that's a good question, Lance. I think it will be mulled over and chewed time and time again. I did not see the final injury report for the season, but with about a month to go in the year, unfortunately, okay, injuries were up. Serious injuries were up. And you're not going to convince me that the change in the offseason and the training camps did not have something to do with it. Again, let's wait till all the numbers are in. I did not see the official 2020 totals. But, uh, you know, you're going to have to digest those things before you start leaning the other way like you suggest. Now, as far as what we started off with, I agree with you. I think performance on the field in the offseason is going to help that continuity factor that I was alluding to. So just saying, hey, everybody's coming back is great on paper, is great on the surface, but you want to then be able to build that chemistry on the field. Because I thought James Bradbury said something very interesting. He said, because of how convoluted, and I'm maybe paraphrasing him a little, but he did indicate, Paul, that this defense is not necessarily simple, okay, for the lack of a better term, (laughs) where, you know, you really need to know what you're doing from a mental standpoint, whether you play cornerback, whether you play in the slot, whether you play safety. I mean, Bradbury pretty much came out and flatly said that. So I guess what he was saying was, if you have the basis of the scheme, unlike what they were working with last year, because they weren't on the field, they were all working through virtual means. If you at least now have that in play, now the question is, how much more on-field work can you get so that everybody is much more comfortable? And here's another layer that I'll add on. Julian Love played a lot of corner against the Dallas Cowboys in the last game, and he was asked today, hey, do you think you went out and made a statement to this coaching staff that come next season, you could be the guy starting opposite Bradbury. And Love said, listen, he's open to just about anything. He looked at himself as a versatile player. He was happy that he got more opportunities this season than perhaps last year. But he also, I'm saying in the back of his mind, I think, hey, you know, this could be now a golden door that opened for me to maybe not just be a guy that goes back and forth between either position, but maybe tries to solidify himself as a corner next season. Well, I think it's going to be a wide-open book in terms of how the Giants decide to use their versatile players. I mean, we know that McKinney is going to be a big part of what they want to do going forward. And the bottom line is that Peppers, Ryan, and McKinney are all going to be ahead of, of, uh, of Logan uh, on the depth chart. I mean, that's just about – well, I, I'm saying Logan Ryan. I mean, uh, Love. Logan Ryan, Peppers, and McKinney will all be ahead of Love on the depth chart at safety. The best that Love can hope to do if he stays there is number four. So if you were him 
and you were given the chance to either compete with Darnay Holmes in the slot or for the cornerback number two spot, why wouldn't you be eager to do it knowing it's going to give you more snaps? I agree. No doubt about it. I'm with you there, and that's why I think that I don't want to say it was an audition because you're going to look at everything. You're not just going to look at one game, but the fact that he did get thrown into the cornerback position against the Dallas Cowboys and played well for the most part, you know, maybe that now gives this coaching staff an idea of what they could do next season. Now, with that being said on the continuity factor, Joe Judge, when he spoke to the media late last night, said that he wouldn't comment publicly on any teams that were requesting individuals to interview. So we want to make this clear. This is not anything the Giants are saying, but there have been reports that Patrick Graham is receiving interest as well as Jason Garrett, which I don't think anybody should be surprised about because Garrett's a previous head coach, and you figure he's going to dip his toe into the waters to see whether or not he can get back to the head coaching level. But continuity goes hand-in-hand, Paul, I would argue, with whether or not your coordinators return. Not in terms of Joe Judge's choice, but whether or not they get opportunities elsewhere. That's a big part of it. So we could sit here all you want and talk about, hey, you know, the group of the secondaries coming back and this and that. Do the coordinators come back? Are you still working with the same scheme? That's a question that has yet to be answered based on what transpires over the next few weeks. Yeah, that's, that's a very big deal, Lance. There's no doubt about that. I mean, do you really want Daniel Jones to have to go through a third system in three years? I, I would think Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah. The problem is... Jason Garrett, as we already know, according to the national reports that have been already posted out there, you know, he's gotten phone calls. Joe Judge did say that he, he expects a bunch of his guys on the staff are going to get phone calls. He, he already anticipated that. He said, look, I'm not going to comment on any of these things until something becomes official, uh, you know, if a job is actually taken. But he said, look, I, I expect a bunch of my guys to get calls. And the national reports already say that Patrick Graham – has been uh, asked for by the Jets, and that Jason Garrett has been asked for by the Chargers. Now, you know, I fully expected, and I've said this since the middle of the season, I think Jason Garrett is going to get calls to interview for a head coaching job, and it would not at all surprise me after the season if he is the first guy who goes, because I think he's going to get legitimate offers. He's a viable head coach in this league. And Brett uh, Bielema, who already left in December, had always made it very clear that his personal preference was to be a D1 power conference head football coach. And he got that offer. And so he went to Illinois before the season even ended. So he kind of, you know, accelerated the the, uh, process. But, you know, once he was gone, I didn't expect him to come back because I know where his heart is. That's not a knock on him. He made it clear to Judge from the beginning where his heart was, and Judge understood it and said, hey, that's fine. You have my blessings. I'd still like you here this year if you're willing to come. And he did. So I I knew that was going to happen. I believe Garrett's going to get a head coaching job. I think Patrick Graham, I Love the fact that he's getting some consideration because he did a marvelous, marvelous job with his defense this year. But I would also tell you, if I'm the Giants, I would really hate to lose him. I mean, big time hate to lose him. We, we, we will see. Well, I'm completely with you. and I, I would never be the individual, nor do I think Joe Judge has this perspective. And this is just my personal opinion, not anything that Judge has said publicly, that he would stand in the way of one of his assistants getting an opportunity. Because I think you got to look at it from the standpoint of, Paul, Judge was in the same boat, right? You know, he was eager. He, of course, had dreams of becoming a head coach. Sure. He worked his way up, right? And then Belichick didn't stand in his way. Hey, Giants want to speak to him. Other teams want to speak to him. More power to you. I don't think Judge is going to do that to any of his assistants. But in the back of his mind and what we were just talking about, if you were to ask me, Daniel Jones, if he has to now all of a sudden learn his fourth offense in as many years, yeah, I'd be a little bit concerned about that. Once again, my personal opinion, not to say that it's not doable, but you know me, Paul, I always reference Alex Smith as an example. It's no coincidence that he didn't really truly blossom until stability came in San Francisco where he worked with Greg Roman and John Harbaugh for consecutive seasons as opposed Mm -hmm. to the revolving door. And then with the way this defense has come along in terms of where they started, remember, Logan Ryan signs right before the season starts. McKinney goes down. You got a lot of movable parts, inexperience. And for where this group finished, 
both statistically and with the eye test, I think says a lot about what Graham was able to do. And by the way, I don't think a guy like Brett Bielema should be overlooked, Paul, in terms of the impact he had in developing some of those linebackers this year. I think what he did in that room is a big reason why the Carter Coughlins, the Lorenzo Carters before he got hurt, the O'Shane Zimenezes, the Cam Browns, you know, were able to show more than just flashes over the course of the season. But getting back to my point at hand, if you were to ask me, I think Joe Judge is saying to himself, hey, I would love guys to get opportunities. I'm not going to stand in their way. But ideally, I would love to be able to build upon what was left off in 2020. Well, you know, Lance, I will only say this. To me, it's going to be easier to replace the potential exit of Garrett than it would Graham. I I think replacing Patrick Graham would really be a very, very, very hard thing to do. On the offensive side of the ball, the Giants have uh, Kitchens, who, by the way, has been an offensive coordinator in the NFL before. He is already on the same page as Joe Judge. We know he's on the staff for now coming into his second season, and we know he already had a substitute for Jason Garrett in a game earlier this year or or during this past season. So I don't think that is a reach. I think logically you could easily see Freddie Kitchen slide into that spot if Jason gets hired somewhere else. I also wonder if maybe Jerry Schleplinski, maybe, might have some some consideration and some some logic behind thinking that he might be able to move into that spot, the quarterback's coach. And those two guys certainly would keep some sense of symmetry with quarterback Daniel Jones. Paul, not to cut you off, I want to throw out one more name for you and a guy that hasn't been named. What about Derek Dooley? Remember, he's a former play caller himself, senior yes. offensive assistant. That's another guy that can provide continuity. You know what, Lance, I wasn't even thinking along those lines, but you make a very good point. So I do think that uh, that, that would be a bit easier to do. I, I just I have so much regard for the uniqueness and the amount of complexities that Patrick Graham instituted in this year's defense. I just think it's going to be harder to try to mimic or keep that wheel turning if he should leave. I'm looking over the coaching staff. It's very interesting because as you have this conversation in greater detail, you start to think about angles that maybe I wasn't necessarily thinking about prior to the show. I don't believe that anyone else on the defensive coaching staff, unlike the offensive coaching staff, has been a coordinator or play caller. Just off the top of my head, I don't believe Jerome Henderson has had the defensive coordinator title throughout his career and the same thing for Sean Spencer and Kevin Scherer. So, you know, that's the biggest difference to your point, Paul. You're correct, by the with way. With respect to, okay, so you've confirmed that with respect yes. to the offensive staff where you've got, we named, we know Kitchens and Dooley have called plays. shuplinski has been a quarterback coach. He's been on the offensive side of the ball for many years on the NFL level. But the defense, not as much polish. Not to say there's not as much experience. There's just, there's not that previous two or three year period where you could point to hey this guy has had to call plays this is what he's done so I would agree with you there off the top of our heads right now if you were to say easier transition to call somebody up to replace Garrett as opposed to Patrick Graham I think that based on the evidence right now in the coaching staff is not a stretch at all no and you know and and Joe Judge trust me (laughs) we know Joe Judge He's going to be prepared for no matter what happens. <laughs> because this guy, he's three steps ahead of, yep. of everybody else. So he won't be caught off guard, and he won't be caught by surprise. If if somebody should leave, he will immediately push a button, and he'll figure out exactly what it is that he wants to do because he's already been thinking about it. You are listening to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, brought to you by the New York Lottery, introducing Money Dots, a game from the New York Lottery where you play for your chance to win money. On the dot, please play responsibly. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here as we take you up till the top of the hour. We're going over what some of the players had to say during the course of their postseason pressers over the last few days. We'll get into maybe some details and takeaways from the Cowboys game as well. I know John and Jeff weighed in on that yesterday, but Paul and I will give you our takeaways too as we move forward here. But let's open up the phone lines in the meantime, and you give us a ring at 973-667-1960. And to start things off, Patrick is in Sacramento. What's happening, Patrick? Uh, Good morning from California. Hey, uh, I have a disclaimer to say... uh, before I get into the meat of what I uh, want to say, just 
so I don't sound like a sour Giants fan. But um, Giants are six and ten. Uh, I don't believe that they deserve to be in the playoffs with that record. Um, but I still believe it was a successful season just because after that 0-5 start, they had a winning record for the rest of the season. Um, having said that, uh, Doug Peterson and how he treated that Sunday night game showed a complete lack of integrity and competitive spirit. You have a group of players that are willing to put their bodies, careers, families on the line, especially this year. And you're a leader of that group, and they're willing to do that for you, and you don't reciprocate that on a Sunday night game. It, he, he completely lost that team. You saw a dejected Philadelphia Eagles team on that sideline. And if you're not, as a coach, willing to do the same for the players who are on the field for you, then shame on you. And... I am so glad that Coach Judge called him out on that. And uh, I know that he wouldn't say this, but I have the Eagles circled next year for those two games, and I can't wait for those two games. I know every game is just as important, but I cannot wait for those two games. And uh, uh, I'm glad that we have Coach Judge, and it really seems like uh, they have a group of a 53-man roster that's willing to do what they need to do for him, and he's willing to do the same for them. And I'm so glad I don't have Doug Peters as my coach. Thank you very much for the call. I'm out. All right, Patrick. Appreciate the phone call. And Lance. clearly, people are still unraveling all that transpired on Sunday night. I know that there have been reports out of Philadelphia that some of the players on the sideline were not very pleased. There has been other reports that Jalen Hurts was told before the game that there is a good chance that Nate Sudfeld could go into the game. So I think that there's mixed reports all across the board. I would say this. It's not unusual for teams that are out of it mathematically to play a variety of guys on the roster. It's also not unusual for teams to sit players to just not expose them to injuries even though they don't have anything to play for after the game. We've seen it year in and year out. I don't think that's necessarily unusual. But I do think Joe Judge, what he said, had some substance, and I don't disagree with anything he said. I think, though, it's important to note, though, Paul, at the beginning of his statement, because I know the clip that's circulating online is all about, you know, making sure that you indicate to your team, we're going to go out, we're going to do everything in our power to win the game. He also made it very clear that we also don't, put our fate in the hands of another team and that they had opportunities over the course of 16 games to win and get into the playoffs. You know, that's important to know. He said that before then he made the point of maintaining a competitive fire within your players. I agree with everything you've said. I agree with everything the caller said, except for circling Philadelphia on the calendar in 2022. See, to me, a rivalry game's a rivalry game anyway, and you're always sure. going to look forward to those rivalry games and the way I saw the Philadelphia Eagles play, and they played their butts off in that game Sunday, trying to knock off Washington. Um, even if, if, if you were the most diehard of Giants fans, you could not tell me that the Eagles players were responsible for what happened in, in that decision-making process. Those Eagles players were given everything they had. They were undermanned. They, they had so many guys missing, and they were playing their butts off with tremendous pride, with, with blood, sweat, and tears, trying to see if they could escape with a victory. I actually have a tremendous amount of respect for the Eagles players on the roster who were on the field against Washington the other night. I think it's probably best I don't say anything else about the rest of that game, <laughs> but, but I think the Eagles players deserve a salute for how hard they tried to win that game. Yeah, I saw the same thing. I mean, I watched that game from start to finish. I don't think there was any question about anybody that was on the field in a Philadelphia uniform just going through the process of playing a game. They were going out there to win. And this is why I've also said this with respect to, you know, when we've had conversations on the air from Giants fans about, you know, not wanting to win games late in the season because you'd rather get better draft position. You could tell me that maybe the front office feels that way. You could tell me that certain individuals within the organization feel that way. I'm talking in general. I'm not talking about the Giants. But you can't tell me players are worried about that, Paul, because players are not guaranteed to return to that team 
team the following season. Players don't care about where that team is going to pick the following year. Unless they have a lifetime contract and there's a bunch of guarantees, they're not getting caught up in whether or not they're going to pick 6th, 9th, 11th, and so forth. So that's why regardless of the decision-making of a coaching staff or a front office, the players that are out there on the field, they're going to go all out because they know that any film they put on tape there, they'll be judged by that with upcoming free agency or they get traded or whatever. So I never buy that players are going out there and thinking about draft position. However, I also want to bring light to this, Paul. While we could talk about and dissect whatever Philadelphia chose or chose not to do, at the same time, okay, the Steelers, who, yes, they knew they were going to the playoffs. They knew they were pretty much locked into their postseason spot, even though you could argue if Buffalo slips up to Miami, Pittsburgh had an opportunity to move to two, but Buffalo demolished Miami. With that being said, Mike Tomlin chose to rest a lot of his starters. Cleveland had something to play for. If Cleveland lost, they may have not gone to the playoffs. I would argue, Paul, that Mike Tomlin and the Steelers had just as much of a duty to the National Football League in terms of integrity and maintaining competitive balance to go out there, play as many guys as humanly possible to deny Cleveland from having a layup opportunity to get into the playoffs. I think it's fair to look at it that way, the same way that you would in terms of maybe what Philadelphia was facing on Sunday night. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I really don't have anything else to add to that right now, Lance. It's Again, it's probably better for me not to say anything more. I just... Uh, I just know that I watched that game. I thought going in that Jalen Hurts's legs were the best opportunity that the Eagles had to compete and perhaps win the game. He ran for two touchdowns. He had them competing. He had them in the game. I don't know if he would have been able to pull it out or not. But I know this. Once Hurts was taken off the field and a four-year third-string veteran journeyman quarterback who cannot move against that Washington pass rush was put into the game, um, there wasn't much more for me to say or to watch. Well, the dynamics of the game changed. Plus, it was also not an ideal spot to put Sudfeld in, considering he didn't play at all this season. Granted, I don't know how many snaps he got in practice. I mean, that's for the Eagles to answer. Not an ideal situation, I would say, for that quarterback, uh, given the circumstances of the game. But it is what it is. That's how it played out. And the Giants will be the first ones to tell you that they had every opportunity. You know, we talked about this on the Giants Radio Network postgame show. Mm-hmm. Paul, we could sit here and play the coulda, woulda, shoulda game. No we doubt. Back- right, to the Philadelphia and Dallas games when they had double-digit leads. They led Tampa Bay by double digits. See, Lance, honestly, honestly, that's why there are two totally separate issues here. There are people who want to describe the Giants' fate and, and how they want to deal with what happened Sunday night in regards to how the Giants landed. That is one issue entirely. And when the Giants players and the coach address the fact that they didn't get enough done during their 16 games, to me, that puts that issue to bed. There is a totally separate issue about the integrity of the game and the integrity of the NFL. And that is one that is entirely different from your fandom for a specific team that was impacted from the game. I think they are two totally separate and distinct issues. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people are confusing the two. And then that's where some other people are firing criticisms off. No, when you separate these two issues into fandom over a team that was impacted and put that on the left and then go to the right side and say the integrity of the game in the NFL, they are very separate, they're very distinct, and there is no excuse for what happened on one side of that ledger. There is no argument. There is no flip side. There is no right. It is all wrong. And it's really that simple. And if you can keep it separate into those distinct areas, there's really no debate. I don't disagree with you. And that's why I also think, though, it's fair to bring in other developments in Week 17 and other things that have happened in NFL history, especially around Week 17, in terms of all teams, whether you're resting guys and looking ahead to the playoffs or you're resting guys and looking on to the following season. I think there's all fair points that could be brought up. Let's return to the phone lines as we move along here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. A reminder, Giants fans, get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with the Giants-branded debit card. 
security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants member FDIC. 973-667-1960. That is the telephone number. Remember, we have one line, so if you are calling in and you're hearing a busy signal, nothing's wrong with your phone, at least we hope. Just continue to try, be aggressive, and hopefully you will be able to get through at some point. Bob is in Pennsylvania. He joins us now. What's happening, Bob? Hi, guys. Uh, well, I've had a couple of bad days uh, being sad, but I'll tell you what. Uh, I had a call in today because Joe Judge certainly does not need me to defend him. But I had a call in today because I've been hearing all this garbage I'm watching YouTube and everything that uh, they were saying is sour grapes. The Joe Judge uh, missed the players. They, they totally missed the point on what he was saying. I mean, Joe Judge is a straightforward. The guy is nothing about him. There's not 1% of him that is phony. And all he was saying is that what he would do in that situation to honor the game, to play the game the way it was. Look at the Eagle fan, the, the Eagle players. That, that tells you all you had to do, uh, all you had to see, was the way that they were disappointed because they put in their blood out there on the field. And I've been a Giant fan since the 60s, season ticket holder since 73. And I had, just have to say that with Joe Judge as our head coach, I have never been prouder to be a Giants fan. Have a great day. All right, Bob. Appreciate the phone call. Well, and I think what you also saw, based on what Joe Judge said during his presser yesterday, Paul, is he, at least based on what I took away from what he said, he had indicated, Paul, that players had walked up to him on Monday when they were in the building cleaning out their lockers. It's over. Then a lot of guys approached Joe Judge and said, Joe, if you were in that position where you were playing Washington – we had nothing to play for. How would you have treated it? And that was his response to his players. That's pretty much what he was sharing with the media. He was expressing that if he was in those circumstances, this is what he would have told the team, and this is how he would have approached the game. Yes. So that's what he basically was sharing with reporters, and that's what had been circulating across social media all day yesterday. It wasn't as if you know, he went out of his way to say that because if memory serves me correct, based on how the presser went about its business, he started off by, once again, making it very clear that the Giants had their opportunities to get into the playoffs. And that needs to be number one. Then when he was asked with respect to a follow-up in terms of what he was doing in his office, Paul, right? Because he said after the game, I'm going to go back to my office. We're going to keep the game on in the background. I'm going to start to focus and study up on Tampa Bay because you have to plan accordingly, right? If the Ball bounces your way. Now, all of a sudden, you got to prepare for a playoff game. And as he's in his office, he's preparing for the Bucks, and he's watching and seeing what's transpiring. And then the following day, players are walking up to him, and, and that's when he basically went into his perspective on how he would have handled the circumstances. You know, I laugh in the face of everyone who criticizes Joe Judge over his comments. I really do, because it just shows how ignorant they are. Because the bottom line is this. Not only did Joe Judge, as you said, accept responsibility for the Giants not getting enough of wins during the 16-game schedule to make the playoffs, he specifically never mentioned the Philadelphia Eagles nor Doug Peterson or the Eagles organization when he went on his rant about the respect and the integrity of the game. He simply said, this, 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 and this under these circumstances – this is what you'll never see me do. He never mentioned another organization or another head coach. And you know why? Because he's classy. And he's got respect for the game. And he's got respect for all of the people who he works with. And he simply took a stand and said, we don't do that here. I don't do that here. And never, ever mentioned the other organization or the other head coach. So for someone to criticize him over a supposed uh, arrow or sour grapes toward the Eagles, they obviously don't know how to listen, don't know how to read, and don't know how to logically comprehend people's remarks. Case closed. Well said. Here's what I'll add to that, and maybe this is slightly off topic from a big-picture perspective, but what's been happening with the Joe Judge clip, in my opinion— 
is the problem I have with social media in general, okay? This is not a rant. This is just me blowing off steam, Paul. It's that we now consume, it's not just sports. We consume everything in 10, 15 second packages, right? Because we think that the attention span of the average individual is nothing. It's non-existent. So nobody can actually sit through a three minute clip or whatever it may be. So I would advise anybody, the Giants put up pretty much every single presser on Giants.com. If you truly want context, go and watch Joe Judge's full presser as opposed to just listening to that clip because, as I mentioned, he clearly started off by saying the Giants have nothing to complain about about not being in the playoffs because they didn't take care of their own business. Then went on to those other components. It's important to make it clear that he first came out and said the Giants had opportunities. They let it slip away, period, end of discussion. Then when you're asked follow-ups, of course, you're going to go into different tangents and different topics. But because social media doesn't allow you to play a 10-minute clip, Paul, this is unfortunately what we're left with. People just consume things in small fragments and then overreact without the proper context. To me, yesterday was the perfect example of that. We move along here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Let's move back to the phone lines. Coach Marvin is in Delaware. What's happening, Coach? How you doing, Lance and Paul? Happy New Year, Coach. Happy New Year, guys. We're going to get off that subject here. Um, we'll talk about something that was talked about yesterday. Um, this is one of Paul's favorite conversations is uh, Ingram. Someone called yesterday, and they were talking about letting Ingram go and trading him. And um, my thoughts were, um, that's not something I want to do with Ingram. I would do with Ingram right now. Um, I still believe in Ingram. Um, I, I still believe that they need to find out how they want to use him. Um, I know John gave a stat of how many times he played in line, and, that, and that's pretty good. For some reason, it's still when they were splitting him out in the slot, things still wasn't happening. I don't know if he was the uh, their first read or not, or the matchup wasn't good that he was in. I'm not sure what was going on there. Um, but I was thinking – um, what did you guys think? If they, if somehow they could draft someone like this kid Ferguson from Wisconsin, he's an inline tight end, and um, you match him up with uh, Ingram, and you utilize him in the same manner as Gronk and um, uh, Hernandez. And I was just wondering what you guys think about that. Well, the more talent you could put on the field simultaneously, I don't think that's ever a bad thing. I just, I don't understand why everybody has the urge and the itch to get rid of a player that is still on a rookie contract, Coach Marvin. And I'm not saying you feel that way, so don't misinterpret. I just don't understand because I fielded phone calls on the postgame show uh, following the regular season finale, and we also got calls about why is the team keeping Evan Ingram and this and that. And I don't think people understand it's not just about, first of all, his talent. He's a matchup nightmare. Now, does he have to execute more consistently? Absolutely. I don't think anybody's going to dispute that. Evan, when he spoke to the media the other day, was the first one to admit that. But in the salary cap error, when you have talent, which is still young, and they're on a rookie contract, if you get rid of that player, you then have to bring in somebody to replace him. You could draft somebody, but you also may have to go the free agent route, which means now you're taking cap space to replace a person that you could have still had on the roster on a rookie contract. So I think that is just as important in evaluating Evan Ingram as it is right. in terms of the frustration that some fans may showcase. And that, to me, right. gets overlooked more often than not. But to get back to the premise of your initial question— I have no issue if the Giants want to pursue another younger tight end, bring him in, have two tight end formations, which they ran this season, by the way. And when you run two tight end formations, you still probably need a guy that's going to stay in as a blocker. So if you want Evan to be more of the receiver and you want to bring in another young guy that you could develop as a blocker, that's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But, you know, even what Tampa Bay's doing right now with Gronkowski and Cameron Brait, you were referring to the New England days with Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. Tampa Bay yeah. has two guys, right? And they're both receiving threats. So it could be done. Yeah. But you're not necessarily going to run routes with both of them consistently on every play. That's my point. That, that's pretty much what I was looking at them doing something like that. But I had, a, but, you know, I had another quick question. Do you guys? I don't know how often you guys get to see after practice. Do y'all get to see them after practice? And if Ingram is on the jug machines after practice, is he on it before practice? Because I said this about a year ago, 
maybe a year ago, I was looking at the way he catched the ball. And a lot of times I'm looking at his hands and they're not well positioned. Um, uh, when you're catching the ball, depending on what direction the ball is in, your thumbs play a big role in catching the ball. Are your thumbs out or your thumbs in? And uh, sometimes it seems like his hands um, was, was not in the right position to catch the ball at times. And I don't know if you guys get to uh, see that or not. Um, so I just wondered if you guys see him after practice. No, we don't because pandemic rules changed everything, Coach. Pandemic oh. rules changed everything. Our ability yeah. to have access and to have, you know, interaction with these players, even eyesight of what we were able to see was reduced by probably about 95% this year. It was horrific. I'm not going to lie to you. It was horrific. I almost felt like the season didn't happen in some regard because that's how little access that we were allowed because of the pandemic, which is one of the reasons why I'm so desperate to see this pandemic go away, uh, obviously for society first, but second, selfishly, as an NFL person, I, I, I love to watch practice every day. I'd be out there 365 days a year watching it every single hour and every single minute if I could. And, and, and my cohorts here know that. I eat that stuff up. And, and to have that gone and taken from me this year was, uh, was difficult as a worker. Uh, obviously, you know, in the scope of things, it meant nothing to what the rest of the world was suffering. But as a worker trying to do my job, it was a tremendous impediment. Coach Marvin, also in leap years, Paul would be out there 366 days, too. That's just <laughs> coach, important coach, to note. Coach, let me tell yeah. you this, okay? Until Tom Coughlin banned the media on Thanksgiving Day, I used to go to Thanksgiving practice and tell my family, don't think about me for dinner because I won't be back until after 3 o'clock. If and you the family was it, not disappointed by that. No, way. it was simple. If you <laughs> wanted to hold dinner for me, you could. Otherwise, I'll take leftovers because I'm going to Giants practice. That, that's, how, that's how important it is to me. I, you know what? I probably would have been out there with you, um, Paul. I probably would have did the same thing. I love the game. Like I said, I coached some kids. I had 26 of them that um, played college ball. Um, one of my tight ends did actually make the NFL, which was uh, Robert Blanchflower. For anybody want to Google that, cool. he also for me. Robert Blanchflower. He's out of UMass. Nice. Uh, he played. And also I had a kid by the name of Jonathan Hernandez, who played with uh, Victor Cruz. So if you see Victor, hmm. ask him if he knows Jonathan. And if you want to see a player I had that's outstanding, Google Jonathan Hernandez out of UMass highlights. And uh, I've uh, coached him also. I actually, he I was his first coach he ever had. And, Excellent. Uh, Very nice. Well, Coach well, Marvin, we appreciate the right. phone call. Lance, Thanks so much me, for weighing in. Let me back uh, piggyback onto what you said, though, about the rookie contract thing. Going into 2021, Evan Ingram is outside the top 15 tight ends in terms of cap number for next year. Okay? He's outside the top 15. So given the cap restrictions that we're all going to see this year as they go down for the league, (laughs) financially, business-wise, for the kind of production you got out of Evan Ingram this year, I know we had a bunch of drop passes. I know there were deflected interceptions. But for him to wind up being in the top 10 in all tight end categories production-wise and to be outside the top 15 in cap number, it is illogical, illogical, okay, the opposite of logical, to consider getting rid of him. Makes no sense. The value of the contract has to be a component to the conversation. Has as to simple be. as that. Yeah. Has to be. And, that, and, and, that's, and that's, that's thanks to the business of how the NFL does things. Yeah, You have no choice. Of course. And that's why you have to have that conversation simultaneously with the production. It's got to go hand in hand. By the way, Evan Ingram, by the way, finished one catch shy of his career high in 2017 when he was a rookie. He had 64 catches. He finished with 63 because he needed three receptions coming in and then four to surpass it. Unfortunately, he only finished with two catches or 17 yards against the Cowboys, but that just provides some perspective. And then he finished with 654 receiving yards, so that also is the second highest total right behind, once again, his rookie campaign. Yeah, and, and as you say, if you want to replace him, you're going to want to replace him 
with a tight end who, in theory, is going to be more productive, right? Well, to do that, you're going to have to spend more and appreciably more than his cap number to go get somebody like that. And you're not going to be able to afford it. That's more of a reason why I always argue rookie contracts are valuable. Before you're itching to get rid of the player, understand the mathematics involved. The one thing I will say before we get to another phone call about the question in terms of X's and O's and technique, the one thing I will say, Paul, just from an observation standpoint, I'm wondering if sometimes when he jumps – Is it necessary as opposed to, listen, you always want to pursue the football. You never want to stand back and have the ball come to you because that's when you're not helping out your quarterback. For example, the Logan Thomas catch, by the way, that he made in the Philadelphia game on Sunday night. I know, I saw it. Okay, well, no, I'm not bringing it up to pour salt in the wounds. I'm just saying that that, to me, was a perfect example of a guy going up, making a play for a quarterback. And it coincidentally was a tight end making a play for a QB. So what I'm saying is when your quarterback throws you the ball, you want to pursue the ball. But I guess I wonder sometimes is the extra jumping perhaps getting in the way of maybe enabling him to get his hands on the ball. That's just one of the things I've noticed this season. And once again, nobody's actually asked Evan that. The access is limited this season. But I'd be curious if his perspective, when he goes back and he watches the film, does he realize that, hey, maybe sometimes I don't need to jump and I need to just pursue the ball differently while I'm still on the ground. I would just be very curious of his perspective from that standpoint. Yeah, you know, all I know is this. uh, Having been in the league for four years now, you know, you'd like to believe that, that he's learned everything he needed to learn and that he is the player that he's going to be. And unfortunately for the Giants, I think, you know, the potential is still higher than the production. The New York Giants at Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. And a reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live brought to you by the New York Lottery. Introducing Money Dots, a new game changer from the New York Lottery where you play for your chance to win money on the dot. Please play responsibly. Paul Dottino, by the way, has not sponsored that read, even though it does remind us all of Paul Dottino. Anyway, let's head back to the phone lines. Corey is in Virginia. Corey, welcome aboard. What do you got for us? Hi. How are we doing, Corey? Hope you guys are having a great start to your 2021. Thank you. Uh, you too. 2020 is finally over. Long time listener. I've been listening for a little over two years. Second time calling. Called last off season from Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm back in Ashburn, Virginia, where I was raised for 17 years. Visiting my father and sister for the first time in nine months. Feels great. Very nice. And, uh, yeah. Uh, just wanted to say, I've been talking to a lot of my buddies about Daniel Jones. They're talking about how he had a setback in year two. I think it's very unfair to say that because I think you look at the receiving core, very underwhelming production. I'm especially disappointed in Darius Slayton and Evan Ingram. Probably had about half as many drops as they did catches. And hopefully, I think Ingram, I think we should flip for a late third, fourth. I don't think he's worth anything at this point. It's not going to give us a first-round investment we paid for him. And I don't see how you can keep a detriment like that on the team past his fifth-year option in 2021. Clayton, I think, can bounce back next year. But with pick 11, I think Jalen Waddle, Jamar Chase, and Devontae Smith, at least one of those three will be on the board. I would love to grab him. And I think the young offensive line will get better. In the offseason, I called in. I was very high on Andrew Thomas. And even when he struggled in the uh, first half of the season, I had no doubts he would turn things around. He's got a great work ethic. Watched him a lot at Georgia. And he's who I wanted in the draft last year, and I'm glad we got him. He's going to be a great left tackle for a long time. And... But Parrott, I, I thought Parrott could be a starting right tackle. And not that he can't be, but I just don't want us to throw all our eggs in one basket on that. Because it was really concerning seeing the way he struggled against Baltimore. And I know it's Baltimore, 
but I do feel like you got to at least serviceably hold your own against the best to be a good starter. Well, keep in mind, Corey, and, remember, you know, Nate Solder opted out. So he is still under contract. And assuming that he comes back, Solder's an option at right tackle. He's played there before. So I don't think we could rule him out. And then Matt Paird could still be the swing guy. Cam Fleming was on a one-year deal, so he'll be a free agent. It depends on whether or not they bring him back. So, you know, the Nate Solder card is there depending on how this offseason plays out. I would have no problem bringing Cam Fleming back again in 2021 and let him compete with Paird. And if Paird beats him out, Fleming becomes the swing guy. What's so bad about that? It never hurts to have more uh, options, especially if they're going to continue that. to rotate from that standpoint. Right. I also wanted to get your thoughts on with the 43rd overall pick, potentially bringing in a guy like Alex Leatherwood from Bama. Well, to be honest with you, Corey, I mean, we're really getting ahead of ourselves. I just completely digested the end of the season. So, I mean, if Paul wants to start to speculate on players, he's more than happy to do so. I will say this. I think it's way too early and appreciate the phone call, Corey. Paul, my perspective is it's way too early to start assigning players to specific positions. We haven't had the combine. We haven't had the senior bowl. A lot changes with the stock of players. And here's the other thing. Don't get caught up in position of need and what the Giants should do in a specific round because you don't know what the depth of that position is going to be like, and you want to be able to maximize the draft. You don't want to just say, well, the Giants could use another offensive playmaker, so when they pick 11th, they absolutely have to take an offensive playmaker. Well, you know, if there's somebody that emerges that's a really good defensive pass rusher, would you rule that out? I certainly wouldn't, but I also wouldn't remove them from going after you know an offensive position that maybe doesn't appear to be a huge need if they think this is a guy that can add more value and depth remember coming into the season Paul did you think Sterling Shepard was going to go down early in the season did you think Saquon Barkley was going to go down against the Bears so you always need to account for on paper you may say well we got enough running backs we got enough wide receivers and then all of a sudden two games into the season your depth chart completely changes yeah, based on the roster as it stands today, I think we all agree. We've been talking about this for over a month. The three biggest needs that are all a top priority are a big wide receiver one, an edge rusher, and a cornerback two. I don't think there's any debate amongst anybody, even those folks who don't know anything about what they're doing and strictly rely on analytics. I'm sure even those people can see that those are the three top priorities. And that's in no particular order. And then on the second level of priority, to be frank with you, I would have absolutely no problem if the Giants wound up grabbing another offensive lineman at some point during the third day of the draft or picked up uh, a, a decent backup offensive lineman in free agency. Again, I'd like to see Cam Fleming back, and if that's the case, I wouldn't mind picking up maybe a guy who's going to be on the interior because you know what? You don't know what's going to happen with Zeitler based on the cap situation. And if he becomes too expensive for their taste, all of a sudden now Lemieux and Hernandez are your two starting guards. Well, who is your backup guard then? I, I, I don't know who that backup guard is going to be. So I do think offensive Spencer Pulley, of course, could be an option as somebody that's But his contract positions. is up. No, I'm just saying, I'm just if they choose to re-sign him, of course. Yeah, yeah. I, and I don't know if that's going to happen. So I would have no problem if the Giants wound up picking up a, a, an interior offensive lineman at some point during the offseason who they, they believe could be the third swing guy on the inside. Uh, but that, to me, again, we know what the three top priorities are, and those take precedence over everything else. No doubt about it. And once again, if they think that a wide receiver is worthy of taking at number 11, you look at wide receivers that have gone in the first round, and there's been a lot of them, pretty much 90% of them wind up making an impact in year number one. I mean, the return rate on wide receivers, I'd probably say is up there compared to any other position in terms of as close to a guarantee as you would like, especially if you look at this year's draft class. A lot of guys in the first round have come through and delivered, whether it be a Justin Jefferson, a Chase Claypool. I mean, I can sit here and go through the whole list. So if they feel there's somebody that warrants that selection, I don't think that's a problem. I mean, to me, the one statistic, and I was reviewing some numbers already, I still have a little bit more analysis to go through, but to me, the most telling statistic, Paul, between 2019 and 2020, the Giants had... 41 offensive touchdowns. They had 44 overall touchdowns in 2019, but two of them 
were on the defensive side of the ball. One was on special teams. Okay, so I'm removing that. Offense is not responsible for that. 41, the offense was responsible for in 2019. This year, they had 27 touchdowns, okay? Two Mm -hmm. of which were on the defensive side of the ball. 25 offensive touchdowns. 41, Paul, versus 25. That is a noticeable difference, okay? Forget personnel, forget anything. A difference of 16 touchdowns between 19 and 20. And if you were to ask us entering the season, remember, based on the paper test, and remember, this is where the paper test changes dramatically, we would have said offense is less of a question mark than defense, meaning the offense would probably have to carry a lot of the weight. And it turned out the complete opposite this season. It was the defense that had to carry a lot of the weight. Why was that? Well, injuries happened early in the season, which nobody anticipated, and your touchdown total dropped noticeably. That's got to change entering 2021. Oh, there's no doubt. There's absolutely no doubt. The the Giants have to add a very important key big player. And by the way, in addition to the, the, the wide receiver one we're talking about, we don't know what's going to happen with Barkley coming back off his injury. And yeah. Wayne Gallman and Alfred Morris and Devontae Freeman are all free agents. So the Giants running back situation, quite frankly, also needs to be addressed. I mean, could I, I don't even want to think about it. But what if what if Barkley isn't Barkley next year? You know, well, and who, I don't who think is you your can, number no, two? No disrespect to Barkley, Paul, but I don't think the Giants can afford to go into this offseason just making that assumption. I'm with you. I think heavily considering re-signing a guy like Wayne Gallman, now he may have opportunities to start elsewhere, and I wouldn't blame him, right, if he tries to pursue that. But having another back that you're confident in that could step in like Gallman did this season, I don't think you could dismiss that and overlook that. No, it's it's it it should be again. I, I don't know that it's a priority necessarily because you don't know if if the Morrises and the Goldmans and the Freemans are all going to run away. You don't know that, and and only the Giants' medical staff know how Barkley is progressing. So I don't necessarily put it up there with the other three as a priority, but it's certainly going to be on that second level. I think you have to be thinking about it, and you have to have a microscope out and know exactly what it is that you've got. And we have emphasized pass rusher even before you take into consideration the injuries in free agency. But remember, you've got Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zimenez returning from noticeable injuries that cost them the season. And Kyler Fackrell's a free agent. So that's another reason why you're absolutely prioritizing that. But you've got to be very careful in terms of reaching for that, Paul. That's the fine line you have to walk. You know it's a need. But that doesn't mean that that's the first thing you go to grab if the depth and the strength of that position doesn't call for it in the draft. You know, and when you discuss the draft this year for the defensive guys who can help in the pass rushing category, all you have to do is go back to last year when everybody said, okay, Chase Young is going to be the best of the group. Now, of course, I argued how great is he going to be, but he had the seven and a half sacks to lead all rookie defensive players this year. Do you know there was not another defensive player in this past draft that had more than four sacks? Talk about not making an impact. You know, I mean, Simmons was not used as a pass rushing outside weak side linebacker. He only had two sacks. Gross Matos only had two and a half. He was one of the guys that everybody was talking about as a second level pass rusher in this draft. Uh, Chason had one sack. Big whoop de damn do. I mean, you know, it, it just it wasn't there. Uh, Epineza went to Buffalo, had one sack. I mean, these, these were all guys who were thought about in a weak edge rushing class as second-level guys. All right, it was like maybe you get them in the second or the third round, and maybe you hope you get something out of them. Heck, even Terrell Lewis out of uh, Alabama wound up with two sacks. I mean, this, this was a horrible pass-rushing class. And I expect the next one to be equally as horrible. By the way, Chase Young also 12 and a half tackles for loss, four passes defensed, four forced fumbles, three fumbles recoveries, and a touchdown as well. He came he on strong in the final month of the season. Because he did. prior to that, he was invisible. 
you know, part of it was also, remember, he had an injury early in the season that he was trying to play through. I believe it was a hamstring injury, I want to say. So, you know, that could have been a factor too. And then once fully healthy, you started to see his true colors. But your point is well taken in terms of other statistics. The only thing I would say before we head back to the lines real quickly, I'd love to see the amount of snaps that some of those other guys played, Paul, in fairness, in terms of comparison of their production. Because remember, your production is all based on how many times you got on the field. And a guy like Epinesa, with, who was playing in front of him in Buffalo. I don't know off the top of my head how many snaps he played this season. I don't I'd just be either. curious to see how much of an opportunity he got in comparison yeah. to some of the other rookies. Don't know don't know either, but let's let's just say buyer beware if you think you're going to get an edge rusher in this year's draft. And more of a reason why you shouldn't reach. Just because you need it doesn't mean you go after it. You let them maybe fall to you based on the evaluation of other positions. Let's head back to the phone lines. Charlie's in Portland, Maine. What's happening, Charlie? Hey, Paul. Hey, Lance. I, I got Hi. two things. One, hey, one thing is, didn't we have Logan Thomas in our... Yeah, he was in, a quarterback. Right. He was a quarterback, and we were going to turn him into a tight end. Guess Practice what? Practice squad guy. turned him into a tight end, and he's pretty good. Right? Yeah. What happened? What did, what did uh, Kitchens... What do you mean, what happened? At one time, the Giants had Cameron Wake on the, on the practice squad during the offseason, <laughs> too. I mean, you know, well, what, what does that mean? It means that Kitchens didn't know a tight end when he saw it. No, one, no. Guess. What it means is sometimes coach. it takes a long time for a guy to either get it or just find the right place where they're able to use him in a different way. That's well, all it means. Hold on a minute. What does Kitchens have to do with Logan Thomas? Nothing. He was a tight end coach. Logan right. Thomas was yeah, on the Giants in 2016, he Charlie. He wasn't here. It's 2020. Kitchens wasn't even was here. Last, I thought it was last last year. No, no. Logan no. Thomas was here in 2016. Okay. Come on, years time. ago. Years ago. I'm a good. Time. No, see, that means that so you see, Charlie, you're struggling in terms of your, your material. You know, you no, see, you no, try I to troll us, and and now you got to beef up a little bit. You got the entire off season right. to work on your A game. Next, what's <laughs> right, next on now, the agenda that we could correct you on? Is, hey, Paul, you always said you know we need to get to. 42 or 43 sacks. Well, we ended up with 40. Yeah, it wasn't bad. And But the thing is, we got 11 and a half of those from Williams. Now, yep. Gettleman played Russian roulette. Yeah, that's it. That's what I'm trying to say. And because he didn't want to pay him, you know, which he probably could have paid him 12 million, 15 million. I don't know what it was then, but it's a lot more now. You know, so if he lets him walk, and we can't pay him or we don't want to pay him, we just lost 11 and a half sacks. And you're also telling us that there's nobody in the draft worth taking to get a pass rusher. How are we going to make that up? Well, that's why he's going to be back. Williams can be retagged. <laughs> Charlie, We're going Charlie. to pay him $20 million? Williams can be retagged if they have to. Oh, okay. Okay? Yeah, okay. If they have to, they can retag him. I have every confidence that that Leonard Williams will be with the Giants again in in the fall of 2021. I have every confidence of that. Well, he better because he's a good player, and Gettleman made the right decision of bringing him in, but it won't be the right decision if he walks um, because we wasted two draft picks for him for for a year when we were a six and ten team. So. They've got to keep them. Somehow they've got to pay them, and they've got to find a way to do it. And one other thing is just about Judge. Everybody's you know throwing so much praise on this guy for supposedly calling out Philly. And I just want to say one thing. Where was he when he was on the Patriots, when they were cheating, lying, deflating, and taping other teams? I never heard him say one word, this was not good for the integrity of the NFL. Where was he? Well, Joe Judge was not necessarily a member of the coaching staff that was prominent to be speaking to the media on a daily basis, Charlie. If you go back in terms of the archives and the timeline, that's number one. So when you're asking, you know, where was he? It's not as if Bill Belichick lets his assistants go out each and every week and talk to the media and have a chat. Okay, so I I think opportunity 
to actually speak publicly was extremely limited. That's number one. And as I mentioned earlier, and forget Joe Judge, let's put this aside. I made it very clear, Charlie, that you could look through the archives. I brought up the Steelers this season against the Browns. This is something that you could bring up examples on across the board. It's not just the Philadelphia-Washington game. You can't live in a bubble and look at it at an island. You got to look at it from an entire league perspective. There's plenty of examples to have a fair discussion about this. And with that, we appreciate the phone call from Charlie in Portland, Maine. I can't believe he put Freddie Kitchens to blame for Logan Thomas not still being on the Giants. I, That's got to be a new one. My goodness. I Unbelievable. Mean, you know, there are times that he goes off the board. That time he was like out of the galaxy. 100% was out of the galaxy. Yeah. See, this is why I hesitate when, you know, we have complimented him for having a good call here or there. You know, it's like when a pig flies outside. And then all of a sudden we get today's back and forth, which all of a sudden brings us back to normalcy in terms of what we expected out of him. With that being said, that is going to wrap up Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate everybody tuning in. A reminder that we will be back up and running each and every weekday during the offseason. Okay, so the Giants season may be over, but we're going to be here talking about the Giants offseason plans. We are expecting to potentially hear from John Mara and Dave Gettleman tomorrow morning, so we'll be discussing that on tomorrow's show, so stay tuned for that at noon Eastern. A reminder that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.